Thanks. Make sure you touch base with them after service. There'll be time to celebrate out in the atrium. Amen. And so now we're going to get into the word. We've been in a series called Most Likely To. If you've ever looked in a yearbook, there's always a page or two um, that address the seniors and it addresses the senior superlatives. And there's things in there like most likely to be successful, most likely, uh, you know, to whatever. I, I can't think of any now, but we've, we've been in a series that have really just focused on some of the characters in the Bible and been powerful. And God, several months ago, told me, I want you to set up a series for people who have never spoken at Faith Chapel to speak. And he specifically laid three people on my heart to invite to speak, and all of them accepted. And so today, we're going to hear a message from Casey Keegan, and I want to invite Casey up. He's, I've already heard the message. It's powerful. It's going to touch your life, so keep your heart open. Thank you so much. Oh, man, I'm fired up this morning to talk to you guys. I'm really excited. Uh, first, I just want to take a moment um, to really just honor Pastor Jim and Pastor Kelly. You know, thank you guys so much for just demonstrating such authentic, real, and just genuine love all the time. So, and, and for this place, it just feels like a large slice of heaven. So, thank you. Let's just celebrate them. So this is a special moment for me. Uh, my grandfather, he was a pastor in New Jersey, actually. I never got to meet him. Um, he passed when my mom was young, but I've gotten a chance to read some of his sermons, and, and uh, I know uh, I'd like to ask him some questions, but, you know, I will again, uh, you know, sometime in the future when we meet in heaven. But So, you know, we're continuing with this series called, you know, Most Likely to the End of the Year book, as Pastor Jim just um, shared And so as I thought, actually as the opportunity presented itself to me, as uh, Pastor Jim presented me the opportunity, I just felt really loud in my heart that I, I got to do Paul. Paul, it was so loud in my heart, I got to preach on Paul. And so as I was thinking, you know, what, what, what does he do? What's most likely to? What is he most likely to? And one of the things that I thought was most fitting for him was most likely to go all in. And... What that means is what that's referring to is to go all in for Jesus. But to go all in, that means to not hold anything back. That means to fully devote yourself to something, to throw yourself at something fully. So we're going to take a look at Paul's life, and we're going to uh, go over some things, and, and then there's some points at the end where, you know, what does it look like to go all in? What are some things that we could do that we could apply to our life right now to go all in for Jesus. And by the way, real quick, uh, I felt like the Lord showed me something in the prayer room. I feel like he wants to do something today with headaches. I don't know if anybody has a headache in here or ever struggles with headaches periodically, but um, I feel like he wants to heal that. So in case you have something like a headache right here, right now, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that goes away during the message. So I just want to throw that out. And also just, you know, if you want to receive prayer for it too at the end or you know, that works too. So Paul, and, and through this, um, Paul and Saul, he's called Paul and Saul, and I'm going to use Saul up until about his conversion, 
and then Paul. And so uh, if I use those interchangeably at the wrong time, please forgive me. But so Paul, <laughs> a lot of alls, <laughs> all in, Paul, Saul. But um, so Paul's from Tarsus, and he grew up, uh, his parents were both Pharisees, actually. And um, so he grew up in this religious tradition, this religious mindset. And um, so he grew up in this, and uh, he actually became a successful lawyer. But he lived for the day that he could join what was called the Sanhedrin. It was like the Jewish Supreme Court of the time. So he, Paul was a people pleaser. He wanted to climb up the ladder and hopefully eventually get into this, what was called the Sanhedrin. He was a violent man, and he opposed everything that, uh, that had to do with the name of Jesus. So even to the extent that uh, Acts 8.3 says that he went from door to door, house to house, and just dragging men and women and putting them in prison. I mean, this guy was all out for the wrong thing, you know? And so, in, in, real quick, if you ever have doubts, by the way, that your past disqualifies you from your future, or your past disqualifies you from God using you, that's a lie from the enemy. And that's a lie from the enemy, I promise you that. How he turned a persecutor of Christianity into a, a, a passionate preacher, and how he flipped the world upside down for Christianity. So if you ever have one doubt, just take a look at Paul's life and how Jesus used Paul. So he went out. And he went out of his way to put believers in prison to the extent of even giving his vote for the murdering of Apostle Stephen at one time. And so he gave his vote. Stephen gets murdered. And this actually frightened some of the believers um, that was starting to come. And and by the way, something I didn't mention. in, In Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. They go into Jerusalem. And they start really disrupting some things. They start really just going against some of the Jewish traditions, and they didn't like that. So Paul, being the people pleaser that he was, he started to make it his goal to go out and try to end Christianity or, or you know, put a, a, a tone down some of these Christians. And, um, and so the believers scatter after the death of Apostle Stephen, and he even went to the extreme of chasing down these believers. And one of the places that these believers went was, it was called Damascus. So I want to read, I want to read the, the famous conversion of, of Saul, uh, uh, Acts 9, 1 through 9. Now it's not going to be up on here, but I, I just want to read this to you. I, I have a few thoughts. So it says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He, he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way, capital W, he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was, oh, excuse me, sorry. Who, <laughs> sorry. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, 
for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Wow. So <laughs> Saul is confronted with a lot here. I mean, within moments, he's, he's going and, and he's going. His plan is to persecute Christians, bring them back, put them in jail. And within moments, he gets confronted with believing that Jesus was the false messiah to all of a sudden Jesus is the Christ, believing that Jesus is a dead rabbi to all of a sudden Jesus is the resurrected king. And one thing I forgot to mention too, everything that he did, he thought that he was doing for God. And that's scary. That's a scary thing. So all of a sudden, he just realizes that everything that he thought he'd been doing for God was actually persecuting God. That's a big oops. That's a big oops. That's a big one. But you know what? I, I, I hear those words. I hear, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I just hear the gentleness and the, and the tenderness of Jesus' voice because he meets him and he realizes that, okay, Saul's actions on the outsider are, are not very great, but his heart, his heart was to do the right thing. He wanted to bring justice because he thought that this Christianity was a cult. And he thought that, you know, it was up to him to maybe help kind of tone that down, cut that out. So God was looking at the heart, and I just hear that. I just, I think that's, this is a perfect example of just how gracious and how merciful, you know, Jesus is. So he continues, um, as it says in, in, in the last few verses, he continues on the road to Damascus. He's blind, and the Lord spoke to a man there named Ananias. And he told him, Ananias, go lay hands on, on Saul. And even Ananias at first was just like, hey, Lord, you know, I've, I've heard some bad things about this guy. He's persecuting your people. Like, hold up. And he says, no, go pray for him. So Saul, or excuse me, uh, Ananias finds Saul, lays hands on him, and it said that something like scales fell from his eyes, and he was able to see again. And if we continue reading in Acts, you would think that, Saul actually jumped right into ministry, but that's actually not the case. If we look in uh, Galatians 1, Paul mentions that I went away to Arabia, and scholars and theologians believe that he went specifically to the Arabian desert, where he spent about three years there, probably learning to hear the voice of God, a lot of prayer, probably battling and wrestling with some things inside of him, and then he comes back to Damascus, and then goes to Jerusalem, tries to connect with the apostles and, and the believers there, but even the apostles weren't buying it. They were just like, I don't know if I believe in this guy's conversion, you know. He, he was just killing us, and now he wants to join us, you know. So, but this man, man named Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, he so courageously vouches for, for Saul at the time, and he says no to the apostles. He says, no, this guy's conversion is real. I've, I've heard him preach, and he's preaching boldly. So all of a sudden, he starts uh, following the apostles around, and he starts going from town to town, and he, he separates from them. He begins to go from town to town, city to city, and he's actually helped out of the city by believers because Jews are coming together and plotting against him. 
I mean, think about that. Let's be real for a second. If we went into a city, if we went into, you know, a town, if we went into a church and there were people trying to, you know, get together and, and kill us, we'd probably be like, God, what did I do wrong? You know, like, <laughs> let's debrief here and, and try to figure this out. But this guy was just relentless. He never even looked back. He just kept going. And he said, chains await me, and I'm, I'm still going. I'm still going. I'm relentless with this thing. He knew what he was called to do. He was all in. So Barnabas and, and Paul are, are, are commissioned together to go on journeys from the Lord. And he finds himself in and out of jail. And eventually he was martyred for his faith. Wow, what an honor that would be to, to, to die for your faith. So this guy was, was all in. He was persecuted, in and out of prison. He was actually on a, on a ship one time, and the ship went down. He was a prisoner on the ship, and everybody on the ship had to swim to this island called Malta. And on this island called Malta, he gets bit by a snake, throws it off. I mean, this guy endured so much, and he just kept going. He just kept going. He was relentless. He was relentless. So this guy was all in. So I want to get to some points now, and hopefully um, these will help. But what, what does it look like to go all in? What does that look like? What, what do we do? What are some practical steps that we can take today to go all in? The first is deny yourself. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And I'm really glad we're going over this um, right now because sometimes what can look like humility on the outside can actually be self-condemnation on the inside. So if we, if we read this verse, deny Self, sometimes we think, oh, man, I'm not worthy, and, 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 and we just kind of get in this mentality. But deny self is, is not actually talking about the soul or the flesh. It's, it's actually talking about reputation. So, and I, I want to mention something really quick, too. Jesus dealt with our sinful nature on the cross. He dealt with our sinful nature. We're no longer sinners saved by grace. We, we can't say that anymore. In the New Testament, we're called sons and daughters, friends, because masters don't share the intimate and deep things with servants. They share the intimate and deep things with friends. We're called friends and we're called saints. Romans 5.1 is very clear. It says faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us, and we're declared flawless in his eyes. How can we be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus yet still have a sinful nature? That doesn't make sense. So he dealt with our sinful nature on the cross, not saying that we can't default back to the old man. It's just sin it does not have to be habitual anymore. All of a sudden, it, it turns into a renewing of the mind. It's a renewing of the mind. He dealt with our sinful nature on the cross. Jesus died a, a criminal's death on a criminal's cross. So what take up your cross was meant to be viewed as when he spoke this to his disciples, he said, are you willing to look like a criminal in society's eyes? Are you willing to become like the rejects of society? Are you, are you willing to look like that? So it's about reputation. 
things changed for me when I realized I wasn't my own, when I realized that I was bought with a price. And so are all of you. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says you were bought with a price. You are valuable. All of heaven went bankrupt for you to get you back. You're not your own. (laughs) You're not your own. So when we don't understand who we are, we'll, we'll live for ourselves. Before the kingdom, it's all about me, 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 me. How can I get a leg up on people? How can I look good? How can I get the appraisal? How can I? But once you come into the kingdom, it's all about him. It's all about how can I bring him the glory? How can I spread his kingdom, not my agenda? How can I worship him? It's powerful. So, so it's about putting away our selfishness, putting away our selfish desires, putting away control of our lives and just giving it to him. We are to become this thing. We are to become love. Colossians 3.10 in the New Living Translation says to become like your creator. God is love, 1 John 4.8 says. And what is love? 1 Corinthians 13. There's nothing selfish about love. So as we continue to grow closer into Jesus and becoming love, we're pushing away those selfish desires. And that's what love is. It's, it has, it's not selfish. The second point I want to make, in order to go all in, we need to handle distractions. Let's take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 through 4. It says, and this is, uh, I'm reading the Passion Translation, by the way. It says, overcome every form of evil as a victorious soldier of Jesus, the anointed one. For every soldier called to active duty must divorce himself from the distractions of this world so that he may fully satisfy the one who chose him. In 2016, a study came out, and I can't remember if it was two, three, or four years prior to 2016, but somewhere in that window of two to four years, more information had come out than all of history combined. I mean, we're talking about articles, blogs, Ebooks, PDFs, case studies, you know, all this, the apps. More information had come out in that time period than all of history combined. Don't you think that it would be like the enemy to try to bombard you with so much information so that you never hear the thoughts of the Father about you? Like his thoughts about every single individual person individually outnumbers the grains of sand. Come on, that's amazing. So, If he has thoughts about every single person that outnumber the grains of sand, don't you think it would be like the enemy to try to bombard us with so much information so that we never hear those thoughts, so that we never walk in our identity? Because when we walk in our identity, we become a threat. We are a threat to the enemy. So we got to learn how to handle distractions. We were never meant to do, and if you look at the first verse, it says, overcome every form of evil as a victorious soldier. Soldiers never fight alone. We were never meant to do Christianity alone. We were supposed to have a community and have others around us. I mean, take a look at Acts. If you read the book of Acts, it was about community. It was about getting together and praying. So soldiers never go and never fight a battle alone. So we need friends who are going to be there, who are going to hold us accountable, who are going to sharpen us. Iron sharpens iron, who are going to get up under us and encourage us. Say, hey, you know, hey, man, did you read your Bible today? Hey, you know, how's your prayer life? You know, what's going on? Have somebody to hold us accountable and help sharpen us. 
Paul had Barnabas. Like I said, his name means son of encouragement. He was the one that courageously vouched for Paul, and he was the one that was also commissioned with Paul by the Lord to go to these places and preach the gospel. And what I find so interesting is, is so amazing is, is Barnabas showed true humility. Because when you read in Acts, it starts off Barnabas and Saul. And then over time, it becomes Paul and Barnabas. So we see how, how he kind of just begins to pass him a little bit. And, and that's what we need. People who, who aren't afraid to let people just get up and, and, and pass them. Not trying to stifle them down and, and stifle their flame and just stand down. He said, hey, I don't care if you go past me. Just keep going. Just keep going. So a person who's not afraid for their friend or whatever to just pass them and keep going but still be there to encourage them. We need a Barnabas. We need a Barnabas, a mentor, a friend, somebody who can be older than you, somebody that can be the same age as you to be there, hold you accountable, sharpen you, and encourage you. The second verse that I want to touch on for handling distractions is Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. It says, yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. That's powerful. So my question here today is, is what are you feasting on? You know, what, what are you feeding your thoughts with? Just like our body in the natural realm, we need to eat, and our body needs nutrients in order for it to operate and function at the intended rate, right? Well, just same thing with our spirit. we got to feed our spirit. And if how we eat and how we are feeding our spirit is social media and television and the news and People Magazine and whatever that other nasty one is, Cosmopolitan, whatever, if that's how we are feasting, we are going to be spiritually dry. We're going to be spiritually dead. So it's about what are we doing? Are we, are we, are we reading our Bibles? Are we praying? Are we listening to, to sermons and podcasts? Are we going to conferences? I'm not talking about being a conference hopper, but are we going to conferences? Are we getting around people who are just moving and seeing big things from God and say, hey, I want that. You know, I want to surround myself with that. What are we doing are we, are, we, are we getting around the, the things that, that, that feed us spiritually? And the last one, the last point that I just want to make is the necessity for dichotomy. And what that means is two seemingly polar opposite ideas that would seem to conflict or contrast with one another, but in reality can't exist without each other. So what I mean by that is, Jesus is called the lion and the lamb. The lion is, is the fiercest, most courageous animal. He's called the king of the jungle. A male lion's roar can be heard up to almost five miles away. And a lamb represents purity, gentleness, humility, tenderness, and the sacrificial lamb. He's a sacrificial lamb. So we see that Jesus is the lion and the Lamb. So we look at certain verses in Scripture that may seem to contradict one another. And, and, and people in the world and people in the church, what we just tend to do is we tend to lean toward one end of the spectrum on anything. Kind of go extreme, one extreme to the other. 
So we read some of these verses and, say, and, and, and we tend to lean toward one verse instead of the other. So in, in Mark 8, excuse me, Mark 10, we are called to receive like little children. And so we, we're called to receive, but at times we also have to go after things. We can't just wait and just say, God, God, I'm just waiting on you. If it's your will, I'm just waiting on you. No, we got to go after things. In Genesis 32, Jacob is wrestling with God. He's got this angel, and the angel says, let me go. And he says, not until you bless me. There's almost got to be a level of, of, of holy violence sometimes. I'm not talking about rebellion or anger, but just this relentlessness of going after, because God's love is relentless. God's love is relentless. David said, even if I make my bed in hell, you are there with me. So obviously he's not talking about eternal punishment, but he's saying, even if I, I, I get myself in the darkest place on earth, you are there with me. You are coming after me. And so we need to go after God with his love, <laughs> with that kind of love. It's powerful. So about two or three years ago, no, excuse me, three or four years ago, I, um, I, I, was, I was filled with a lot of a lot of anger, a lot of rage, a lot of frustration, bitterness, and how I found uh, my outlet with that was through lifting. Lifting became my identity, and I just kept lifting and lifting, and um, I, I, I used certain things. I used uh, supplements and, and, and some drugs and stuff like that to, to help further push myself in the lifting because what that stuff did, drugs and supplements, is they actually blocked the pain so that I could, I could push myself further. And that was, that was the only successful day I had was when I pushed my body to exhaustion every single day to just handle the, the anger and, and stuff that was inside of me. And so um, I, I kept going with this, and, and a lot of the stuff that, that uh, I was taking, you're supposed to cycle on and off of and, and take it and don't take it and take it and don't take it. I took it for three years straight. I just kept going with it. And I busted my shoulder and um, I got syringes, and I was ready to do steroids. And then I met somebody who came into the gym, and he's actually here today. His name is Corey. I love him. He's an amazing guy. <laughs> and he, he helped me with my shoulder. And I said, wow. I said, I got to go after that, whatever that is, <laughs> whatever you're studying. So he's the one that introduced me to Cortland. I transfer in as a junior. I'm there for about a year. I'm there in the summertime, and I have an apartment building all by myself. And I just reached a certain point where I'm just like, I just don't really want to keep going. I just, I've reached a point where I just, I'm done. I, I just want to stop. And, and things were just really weighing on me. So I, I, I dropped to my knees, and, and I just said, God, I, I really need you right now. And at that moment, something just fell in the room. It was God's love that just fell in the room. And I go into the bathroom, and I'm just on the floor weeping because I don't know what it's like to feel so much peace. I don't know what it's like to not have a worry in the world. I don't know what it's like. And I promise you, perfect love really does cast out all fear. There was no fear. There's no fear at all in the presence of God. And I said, wow, this is really real. I got to go after this. So uh, for a few weeks later, I, I didn't know God was stirring something up inside of me, but a few weeks later, I wake up on a Sunday. The next day, I was starting my senior year at Cortland, and I come to church, and I just had this really strong impression, like, I'm not supposed to be at Cortland this semester. I didn't really know what to do with it. So I, I talked to Joan, 
Joan Russell, she's amazing. She's a secretary here. She does getting a grip on the basics, and she had been a mentor in my life. I don't think she knew a lot of the bad stuff that was going on in my life, but um, so I, I told her, and she's like, you know, I, I think that this is God. I said, okay. So we had a meeting with my parents, and we talked about it, and she said, okay, what, what about Regent University? I said, I've never heard about, I've never heard of it, but I'll apply there. So, so the next day on a Monday, I'm still going to school the whole week because I don't know if this thing is going to work out or not. And so I call up Regent and I said, hey, you know, I, I want to, is it too late to apply? And they said, yeah, it's too late for, for on campus, but online you can. I said, I don't want to do that. Wednesday comes and I get a call and I find out that there's a shot that I can get there on campus. And I'm like, okay. I get a call Friday that I've been accepted, and there were some mountains that had to be moved because they had to get a hold of the instructors. It was going to be two weeks late into the semester that I was coming in. And so I found out that I was accepted, and I went right to the gym, and I went into the bathroom, and and I cried first because I was like, what am I doing? (laughs) Wasn't really sleeping that week or eating, so the lack of nutrients and sleep didn't make for good (laughs) decision-making. But, but, um, but, um, and then I went and I quit my job and I dropped my classes and I got out of my one-year apartment lease, which was a miracle in and of itself. I packed my stuff up Friday. I get home Friday night and I leave for Virginia Beach at 3 a.m. Saturday morning. And I didn't even really have a place to stay for sure. I was up in a hotel for a few days, but I'm like, I just got to go after this. This is real. So Tuesday comes because Monday was Labor Day. And I get a call or I get a text uh, email three minutes before I was supposed to check out. And they said, hey, we have a place for you. And, uh, and you can move in at any time. And so I, I, I went to Regent, and that's where I really got a, a strong foundation. I took Old Testament, New Testament, all that stuff. Met some really um, important people in my life that I still keep in touch with. And um, then God called me back to Cortland. <laughs> I said, God, are you serious? I just did a whole lot to leave there. Now you're calling me back? Are you serious? But he taught me how to really deny myself and how to really not live, you know, for people. Because it, 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 was, it was tough when I left Cortland because I didn't let any of my friends know. I just kind of packed up and left. And so I didn't really get a chance to say goodbye. So when I came back, everything was different. Everything was different. So I had to learn a new dependence on God and not people that were around me and my friends. So he taught me that. And then I came back to Cortland for a semester. I go on a mission trip last summer uh, with Global Awakening. It's called YPI, Youth Power Invasion. And, um, man, my life changed there big time too. And then I come back from that. I get into school and ministry here for a year. I just finished up. And now in three weeks, I'm, I'm on my way to uh, Global School of Supernatural Ministry. I'm chasing after it. But there is a cost to go all in. There is a cost. You know, it might cost you your reputation. It might cost you that people don't like you. It may cost you, you know, some friends, but I'll tell you what, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. Ever since I really started pursuing him and going all out for God, going all in, I never regretted not a day in my life. And um, Lynn, if you could come up, we're, we're going to close in a sec. But one verse that just 
convicts my heart all the time is, is James 4.14. And it says, what is your life? It's like a mist. It's here today. and disappears. And we got a short period of time on this earth. We have a limited time on this earth to represent Jesus. I want to go all in for that. What we do here on this earth counts in eternity. And I want to make that window, that short window here count and to go all in for God. (laughs) What I feel like God wants to do today is I feel like he wants to clean house. In Matthew 21, 12, Jesus goes into the temple. He flips the tables over on the money changers. He drives them all out. But you are a temple too. Your body is a temple that the Holy Spirit wants to dwell in. So sometimes we pray a prayer and we say, Lord, come into my life. But we only allow him to be Lord over certain areas of our lives. And today I feel like he just wants to clean house. He's saying, I just want all of you. This is what Christianity was supposed to be. All in, all out for the things of Jesus. And if that's you, I I want you to stand right now. I want you to stand and say, I want to go all in. Maybe there's some stuff that I've been holding back. Maybe there's some things that I haven't handed over to God. But I want to go all in today. I want to take my life, and I want to be more intentional about it. And I want to go all in for Jesus. We'll have the ministry team come up. I'm going to pray for you guys. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So, Holy Spirit, we just thank you, God. (laughs) We thank you that you're such a good God. And, Lord, you just see all the hunger in here right now. God, I pray that you deposit something inside of them. Holy Spirit, I thank you that being intentional with our lives, you want to open up more of yourself to us. You want to show us more of yourself. So as they go and they, they become more intentional, and it's intentional about their lives, I pray that you reveal more of yourself and it just makes them more hungry, God. I thank you that you've called us to be all in, all out for you, Lord. We love you, God. I thank you for stirring something up in Faith Chapel. I thank you for stirring something up in the city of Syracuse. And I thank you that today is a defining moment in people's lives, that they will never be the same again. I thank you, God, for each and every single person here. I pray that you touch their hearts. You continue to minister to their hearts as they leave Faith Chapel. And God, I just, I pray that they really live and stay in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. If you guys need prayer for anything, even if you want to just go all in, but you want to receive prayer and, and, and get hands laid on you, we have a ministry team up in here. But we, uh, we ask that you just move conversations into the atrium. We have coffee and fellowship, but we just want to keep this sanctuary a quiet place for people to just rest in the presence of God. But God bless you. Happy Sunday. And we love you.